I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. I am a huge fan of the work of today's guest. Courtney Carver launched a blog, Be More With Less, back in 2010, and since then has been one of the top bloggers in the world on the subject of minimalism. She is the author of Soulful Simplicity and the creator of the Minimalist Fashion Challenge, known as Project 333. In Project 333, she asks you to limit your closet, all of the items that you use as fashion items, to 33 items for a full season of three months. And when you actually think about it, first you resist it, but then you realize that this will not only be something that you can actually survive, but it could be something that will help you thrive, it will make your life easier, it will make you feel lighter, and nobody notices anyway. Courtney's body of work focuses on that power of simplicity that improves our health, helps us build more meaningful relationships, relieves the stress in our professional and personal lives. And I am sure by the end of today's conversation, you will breathe a sigh of relief when you realize that less can definitely be more. Hey. Hi there. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing very, 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 very well. I'm so glad to hear that. It's great to talk to you. Same here. I've been waiting for this for such a long time. And actually, today is so timely. I was introduced to your work in the spring. You did a podcast where you were really talking about the uncertainty of what was going on, and it was in the very early Uh, days of this pandemic. Ah, You just had such an impact on me and how I was processing everything. And I just felt after listening to that, I just thought everything is going to be okay. We're going to be okay. It absolutely is. We are okay. It's amazing, actually, that when you really think deeply about it, I talk to people sometimes and I say, are you diagnosed with COVID-19? And they say, no. I say, have you lost your economic livelihood to the point where it's really, really, you know, making you suffer? And they say, mostly no. And then I say, did you lose someone that you love? And they say, no. And I say, don't you see? This is an opportunity to be grateful, really. I mean, the world is breaking apart and you're so fortunate. And when you really think about it, it's Amazing, because most of us are actually okay. I mean, of course, some people are suffering so much and the economic situation is so difficult, but that happened before. 2008 is not that far, 1987 before that. So many times, I think I had like four of those in my life and it always bounces back. It's not going to be the end of the world. Anyway, I think it must have been Elizabeth Day, How to Fail. It was. Yeah. It was the first time I had heard, listened to her. And it was, I think, the first time I had listened to you. And it was just an amazing conversation. So uh, have you always been a minimalist, Courtney? I mean, is this... Uh... I didn't even know what minimalism was until uh-huh. probably, I don't know, 2000, maybe 2008 or nine. I started becoming interested. Uh-huh. But no, I wasn't at all. In fact, I probably was the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell me more. Spill the beans. Were you like sure. a, a shopaholic, a uh, herder? What do they call them? The ones a that hoarder. collect hoarder, yeah? You know, I wasn't. And you may not have, I don't even know if I would have classified myself as a shopaholic, but I certainly tried to shop my way out of pain a lot. Ah, And I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I can see clearly that that's what was happening. So as fast as I would make money, I would spend it and then some. And by the time I was in my late 20s, I was so deep in debt that 
I just had this mindset of, well, I'm already so deep in debt. I may as well just keep going. Like it's not hurting <laughs> anything. Okay. Yeah. It's like it can't get any worse. <laughs> But what I wasn't putting together was kind of that cognitive dissonance, I guess, that uh -huh. I wasn't happy living like that. But I felt like those shopping trips and that spending and living beyond my means was was what I deserved. I felt like I deserve this because I work so hard and because I work a job that I don't enjoy. So I deserve these nice things, but I didn't realize I deserved so much more than that. And it really all came to a head in 2006 when I was still working, doing work I didn't enjoy, working all the time, feeling like I wasn't just buying all the things, I was scheduling all the things. And so I was very busy. And I thought that's how I was proving my worth to the world, like showing how full my calendar was in my inbox and that I could respond right away. And I just had a physical breakdown. I got very sick and it was kind of interesting timing or ironic timing. I was training for a cycling event in Utah where I live in Salt Lake City called the MS-150. It was an event to raise funds for multiple sclerosis research. And my boss at the time that I worked for, he had MS and I was riding for him. I really wanted to do this for him. And that's when I got sick when I was on all these deadlines and training for this ride and doing a bunch of travel. And three months later, I had my own diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. Oh. So I had missed the ride because I had such bad vertigo, I couldn't ride a bike. And here I was trying to do something for this person I worked for. And as it turns out, I had the same thing that he did. Oh my God. A different way, uh, but... At first, I mean, he was kind of my face of the disease. It was all I knew. And he was in a wheelchair. And I thought, this is now for me. Like, this is all I knew about MS. And so before getting interested in simplicity and minimalism, my interest was in reducing the stress in my life. Because yeah, it's important for MS. All the research I did brought me to that place. And maybe it didn't cause the disease, but it certainly exacerbated the symptoms caused relapses. And it just made me rethink how I wanted to live and how I was living and why I was living that way. And it took me that long to be asking those questions. But once I started asking them, I couldn't stop. And mm. I've never stopped since. Do you believe that life has to not just that way? I mean, most people that I know who are really making a big difference to the world have had that one sort of defining moment. It's like, hold on, stop. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And then something shifts inside and then you start to go on a different mission for yourself, for those that you love, and then like you are now for the rest of the world. Do you believe that this is the way life works? Does it have to be that hard? I think not. I think that the more people who have these experiences and share them and tell their stories, the more people are doing that reassessment before the, the breaking point, before the aha moment, because I'm pretty convinced that I knew long before that moment that things had to change, but it was too scary. It wasn't bad enough. I didn't need that, that wake up call because I had had hundreds before then, but I just wasn't open to them. And so I think the more we talk about that, the more open people will be to their own wake-up calls when they hear it. And so when their body says, something's not right, or this isn't working, they can actually hear that that is, that's a real message. Like you can yeah. acknowledge that. You don't yeah. have to dismiss it just because you're busy or just because you think you don't deserve better. That's your inner voice talking, literally talking to you. And Again, I just think that, yes, of course, that it's going to work like that for a lot of people, but hopefully more and more people will say, maybe I'm not supposed to live like this, or I don't have to live the way other people expect me to live, or I get to take care of myself. Yeah. And I'm hopeful absolutely. that that's changing. I love the way you position it. You get the message. Like Life is almost like really sending us messages saying, Can you read this? Take care of yourself. And then you ignore that message and then it sends you another one. 
And then eventually it gives you a little slack and says, are you listening? I've been sending you a message for a while. And, you know, in my definition, in my work, I call that the nudge, right? It's like life keeps pushing you. And if you don't respond, it literally shoulders you to to start going on the right track. And it's quite interesting that we don't notice the the smaller messages. So your wake-up call was basically saying, reduce the stress in my life. Only because of that MS diagnosis and because of the research that I did around that and because my neurologist said to me, look, you're standing on the edge of a cliff and you're going to have to make some decisions moving forward. So in other words, if you keep going the way you are, you're going to fall off the cliff. Mm. But you have a choice at this point. And I felt that there was just nothing in in me that said, I'm not going to take this opportunity to figure things out. How does becoming more of a minimalist reduce the stress in our life? I mean, in an interesting way, aren't all of those things that we bring in our life supposed to make our life easier? Are they not supposed to make us a little more joyful, maybe a little more rewarded? I don't know. Well, I mean, less is not nothing. Certainly there are things that come into our life that bring more joy or make us happier. But for me, it was just looking at every stressful area of my life and getting rid of that stress. And what I noticed area after area of changes is that what I was doing was simplifying things. So I was removing, you know, whether it be certain foods from my diet or removing the debt in my life or removing back-to-back appointments or clutter, whatever it was, it was this process of simplifying and figuring out what was important, what mattered in those areas. And knowing that when I had everything, I couldn't pay attention to anything. (laughs) I was just like, bing, bing, bing everywhere. And for instance, if we were on this call right now and I had my phone on and there were messages coming in, even though I wasn't responding to them, I wouldn't be able to give you my full attention because they would get a little bit of it. And so everything takes a piece of our attention. And when it's spread too thin, none of it gets our best attention. Yeah, you don't actually really live any of those moments because you're basically literally jumping from one area to the next, like trying to spread And also trying to spread your money and trying to spread your consumption. It's actually quite, I mean, I'm an avid minimalist. I have a secret to tell you, and please don't be shocked. When I heard about Project 33, I'm a very serious reader. So I like ate through your book. Early on, I struggled because I got up being very action oriented. And I said, yes, I'm doing this. 33 items, I can do it. And I started to count the number of items that I actually wear, and they were 23. And I was like, whoops, what do I do about that, right? I mean, in in reality, most of my, you know, I'm not big on shoes, and I know people will now start looking at my shoes all the time. I believe shoes are functional things. And yeah, you may need one that is fancy. So if you're going to sign a billion dollar deals with someone, you know, they don't kick you out but I'm not signing so many of those billion dollar deals recently. So, you know, so I'm, I'm like, okay. So, and because I don't actually use accessories that often I have this wonderful little thing from my sons. He used it as an earring and I use it as a, a little necklace, but it's the one thing and I absolutely adore it. And it's just part of him touching my heart. And, you know, I don't want to clutter it with other things. So I'm like, okay, so I have 23. What do I do now? I added three shorts. So I'm now at 26. Tell us about 333. Tell us about where did you come up with the idea and why 333 and how does this make anyone's life simpler? Sure. Let me just say, if you only have 23 items, then maybe you're doing project 323 or project 23 or something that works best for you. I think I'm doing now project... If we multiply accurately, 72.23. So I've been really reducing for so many years in my life. And it's just so light. It is so light. It is so much easier to wear black t-shirts. You know, you don't have to iron them. 
You don't have to really think too much about what other color are you going to wear with them today. And people just go like, yeah, he doesn't have many t-shirts. And yes, I don't. And so who cares? But, you know, you're right. I mean, it works for me for sure. I would say people probably aren't paying that close attention or as much as you might think. At least that's what I learned through this process. So I created Project 333 as a personal experiment. So I was really considering what I needed, which obviously is not the same as everyone else. And for me, I needed a break from the shopping. I needed a break from the closet chaos that I was dealing with then. (laughs) And I thought, why not try a three-month challenge where I only dressed with a certain number of items? And at the time, I was still working full-time, you know, in front of clients and doing sales meetings and with my colleagues and doing community events. So I was very active and out and about and seeing the same people quite a bit. So I tried to think what I would need for a season from, I think the first one was October, November, December, what I would need for that season for work and for outside of work. And I put together a list and I think the list came out in the forties or fifties. And I thought, well, in the spirit of this being a challenge, I'm going to lower that number and 33 with three months felt nice. It sounded great. And I thought, I'm just going to do that. 33 items, I'm going to count clothes, shoes, jewelry, and accessories. Not counting underwear, sleepwear, and not counting workout clothes, although my workout clothes had to work out. So that meant... (laughs) I like that. That meant... If I wanted to include a pair of yoga pants, but I wasn't going to yoga, I had to count those in the 33 items, which I mean, now compared to 2010, when this challenge started, athleisure wear has definitely increased. And that's fine. You can just include that in your 33 items. But then I took everything else. And instead of getting rid of it, because I didn't want that stress of, am I going to have to buy all this back if it doesn't work? I just got it out of sight. So I hit it. And that meant that I didn't have to look at it every single day for those three months. I could just choose from my favorite things every single day. And at first I thought, oh my gosh, this isn't going to be enough. People are going to notice. They're going to say something. This is going to be weird. And exact opposite happened. From day one, I felt this peace and relief every single day that I didn't have before. And I didn't know why right away, but I've since figured that out. And that was, even though I was always wearing a small selection of my bigger closet, I still had to sort through all of those bad purchase decisions and all of the times that I spent too much money or items that people gave me and I didn't wear and that made me feel guilty or items that I wore with people who weren't in my life anymore or items that I wore to sad events that were still making me sad on some level. Wow. So every day, I didn't know that was happening, but when they were gone, I just had this feeling of lightness that I think is directly tied to the emotions that I had hung up in all of those clothing items. Wow. So you're giving up emotions, not just items. That is a very, very interesting way of looking at it. I mean, I never thought of it this way at all, by the way. I mean, the reality is I started to get rid of many more things after Ali left life. And in an interesting way, you're so spot on. I mean, I am ashamed to say it, but at the time he left, I had 16 cars. And now I take Uber and it's wonderful. (laughs) And the idea is he was a tiny little Zen monk, as you may have heard about him. And he was very kind to me and very supportive. And every time as a, you know, he was 21 when he left us, I would ask him, Ali, take this car. It's a nice car. You can take it out with your friends and enjoy it. And he would say, no, Papa, I'm okay. And I say, you don't like it. And every time he would answer me this way, he would say, I'm happy that you're happy. And in a, such an interesting way, I actually realized when he left that I wasn't happy with those things. Those were not really adding anything to my life at all. As a matter of fact, they were adding tremendous burden to park them and clean them and maintain them and renew the licenses. And, and you know, without them, life is so much lighter. But how do you make those decisions, Courtney? So you go into that incredible closet, which 
for all of us is full of clutter or many of us. And then you choose. How do you choose? Is it a fashion decision? Is it an emotional decision? What do you give up on? What do you put in the box? What do you keep and wear? Well, it's changed for me over the years, for sure. But it certainly started as being more of a functional decision. Like, what will I actually need during these three months? You know, I have all these shoes, but what's one pair that would really work well for this situation? And do I need, so for me, I needed or wanted to include a pair of flats, a pair of heels, a pair of boots that were like a dressy pair of boots and a pair of winter boots. That worked for my lifestyle, even though I still thought in the beginning, that's not going to be enough. Just one pair of that shoe. Even though, again, I wore my favorite shoes all the time. So the most comfortable shoes were the ones I was wearing all the time, even though I had all of those other ones. And it was just, again, thinking about that, like, what events do I have coming up that I might need something for? And for that time period and for the following year, I wore the same dress to every event through all the seasons. And no one ever noticed. And I worked in the kind of industry where if they did notice, they would say something. And so what happened in that moment when I realized how little people cared about what I was doing, then I was free to make all kinds of other decisions without worrying about what other people were going to think. Yeah. It definitely goes far beyond the closet when you realize people aren't really paying attention to what you're wearing. And if they are, they forget pretty quickly. So I've kept after those first three months, even though it was only designed to be that experiment, I've kept with it for now 10 years. I'm in the 10th year of dressing 33 items or less every three months. And it's not 33 different items every three months, just a few items rotate in and out because I live in a four season state. So I need a winter coat in the winter and I don't need it in the summer. That's just kind of a easy example. When you started this, you were trying to de-stress, right? So there is the ease that comes with the idea of, I don't have to make those choices. I don't have to deal with all of this. But also I understood that you were attempting to reinvent your life financially. You were in debt. You were constantly adding to the debt. You had purchasing items that were making your financial situation worse, but your life not better. So tell me a bit about that. So how did that change? By simplifying, did that help you with your debt? Definitely. So I was actively paying off debt when I started the challenge and had been for probably a year or more. And I think it took us about three years to pay off all of our debt because I had everything from credit card debt to student loans, to car loans, to it just whatever I could borrow, I was borrowing. And I had been in such a habit of that from such a really young age that it just felt like what everybody does. <laughs> but I realized how stressful that was and how many decisions I had to make based on money. And no matter how hard I worked, I was still owing somebody something. And that just didn't feel good. And so this challenge really helped because in addition to no decision fatigue, wearing my favorite things, getting more comfortable and confident with myself, not putting that pressure on my clothes, I was also not shopping for those three months. So no shopping for clothing items, which for me was, it was really easy to just add a couple of things to the cart over the weekend every weekend. And I wasn't doing that at all. And so it was a complete no shopping. And that's when I really figured out how I was using shopping to numb pain and to make myself feel better instead of figuring out why I wasn't feeling well to begin with. And wow. then learning how to self-soothe in a healthier way. So I'm going to have to stop here and talk to our listeners for a minute because I know you're in that place. I mean, if you're not, then you're one of the few. But so many of my friends and the people I love just go through that process of, first of all, mindlessly buying things, buying things they don't need, buying things that clutter their life. 
and buying that with money they don't have. And that in my logical engineer's brain is like, I don't know how to call it other than not very wise, really. You know, when you really think about it, it's just stress over stress over stress over stress. And you end up in debt. You end up with things that you don't want. You end up with bad decisions that make you feel bad about spending the money. And then what do you do? You drown it in more shopping, right? It's like, you know what, you know, I feel bad and, you know, I'm in debt. At least I should give myself a break and buy more things for more debt. And it's like, where's the logic in that? And you say it so well when I hear you talk publicly. The simple idea is to recognize that you're actually better off with less, that you're more with less, that your life is simpler, it's lighter. How do we get that into people's hearts? Well, I think they start recognizing just from this conversation that pattern that they have, and it might not be shopping alone, or it might not be shopping at all. It could be food, it could be alcohol, it could be busyness. I mean, that all three of those things were great for me to use to push off pain as well. And busyness too, that's one that we definitely don't recognize. Like if we're too busy to deal with it, we're too busy to deal with it. But being productive is so rewarded and applauded that we can feel somehow like we're going in a positive direction when really we're just bogging ourselves down so that we don't have to deal with the things that are bothering us. But I think a challenge like Project 333 really helps people see for themselves because it's fun to do. There's no pressure. There's an end date. You don't have to get rid of anything. You can bring it all back. But for those three months, you get to see how it feels to open your closet every morning, only have a handful of items to choose from, and then direct your attention to something else in your day. So even if it's just giving you a little more time in the morning, you've gained something. And you, I think, start to appreciate these things like extra time, um, I love which that. I always took for granted. I don't know why, but now I need large swaths of time each day to have nothing planned or scheduled. If I'm really overscheduled for whatever reason, it's too much now because it's taken a long time, but I've gotten to this place where my daughter is grown up. So I am alone a lot of the day. And I think I would have prior tried to fill up all that space. So I wouldn't have yeah. too much time to think about my life or what I want or take care of myself in the way that I take care of myself now. So again, it's just doing these little things that really help you see for yourself what you want. You know what? One of the things I loved when I read my research about you is that you're an introvert like me and you don't come across as an introvert at all. I mean, what introvert writes books and blogs and gets out there and talks to the world? What made you decide to do that. I mean, you're supposed to de-stress your life, but then you go out there and really, really put yourself out there. And I have to be very open. You're putting yourself against the whole world. To me, you're an angel, but I'm sure advertisers are like, what's wrong with her? Why Why is she working against us? We're supposed to ram those things down people's throats. You know, it's like, so what makes you choose to put yourself out there so much? Well, it's interesting. Until I went through this process, I didn't know I was an introvert. I thought I was an extrovert because I worked in sales and I had to rise up and be that extrovert for my job. So I had to become my work. And yet I was always very depleted and exhausted and I didn't know why. But when I sorted that out, I was able to create work that supported being an introvert. So, I mean, writing books, I'm alone writing books. Yeah, I love That's it. wonderful. I love it's it. my favorite. It's my favorite time, yeah. And then with like virtual connections or even in-person events, I get to manage that in a way that really serves me. So I know that after the event, people will invite me to do something afterwards. It's going to be a no, as lovely as they are. I know for myself, that hour or hour and a half that we spend together at a live event, that's my capacity without feeling burnt out. That's when I know it's time 
to leave and to go get some rest. And the same goes for the rest of my work. And in terms of, as you say, kind of putting myself out there and getting the feedback from a lot of people, I have gotten to a place where I know that feedback has nothing to do with me. So even if it's real positive or real negative, it's coming from that person and it's that person's business and it's their judgment and their expectation. And I mean, of course, I hope that I can offer something that is useful and helpful to people, but I also don't take the negativity that comes with it from time to time. And I'm try to be really careful about the positivity too, because that's the stuff that I want to latch onto and really take in. But again, it doesn't have anything to do with me when that email is being written or that comment is being made or that DM is being sent. It's about them and their journey and where they are. And sometimes they're in a great place and sometimes not so great. That is so wise. So wise. It took me a long time to get there. <laughs> but it really is. And for you, of course, with a massive following, this is absolutely fundamental and it's paramount in terms of importance. But I think for others, for everyone, there are those things that we cling on so much, you know, especially the idea of what do people think of me. And the way you say it, that this is not about me, it's about maybe a mix of something I said and how that person actually is, what their conditioning is, what they believe is good and bad, what they believe is right and wrong, and what mood they are in today. And that's the result of that comment. It's not about me as much as it is about the person writing it. I think that's really, really fundamental, especially for anyone who's so desperately trying to fit in and be noticed on social media or receive likes or whatever that is. It's actually a very, very powerful way of looking at it. I think the more interested we are in that feedback, the less real we are because we're not coming from a place of being enough. We're not coming from a place of being who we are. We're coming from this place of what will people say? What will, how many likes will I get? And that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. There's actually, um, I'm going to try to find it quick here. There's a Georgia O'Keefe quote that, is always on my mind when I think about these things. And I'm, I'm hoping that I can just find it quickly and not have to keep anyone waiting because it's so worth it. I think people can wait. This is slow-mo. It's supposed to be slow. You know, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're supposed to take it easy. I love that. Uh, okay. I think I've got it. Okay. So she says... I've already settled it for myself. So flattery and criticism go down the same drain and I am quite free. Hmm. Mm. And I love that. I mean, flattery and criticism go down the same drain. I mean, for me, that's just so freeing. It totally is. I, I have to say, so what we do in, on Slow Mo is we look for those nuggets of wisdom. This truly is a nugget of wisdom. It's like, I also heard you once say, I am a full person without doing anything. All of the doing that we engage in just to prove something doesn't affect you in any way. It doesn't affect who you really are. It doesn't affect what you represent to yourself. It doesn't affect your self-worth. That's also quite profound. It's been really powerful in my life to realize that because I definitely tried to prove who I was by what I accomplished and I judged myself as a result. So if I had a day where I got everything checked off my to-do list, that was a good day. And on days where I didn't, I felt like a failure. And when I started to reassess that and see that I could have a good day and not get anything done, that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I like those days. <laughs> but why not? Why shouldn't we take every day that can be good and make it good and stop measuring. Like I think we're just using broken measuring sticks for everything, the way we measure our self-worth. I mean, for me, I used to get on the scale every day and I would use that as a measure of my worth. Like, did I lose two pounds today? And so now I'm a good person or did I gain two pounds? And so now I'm a person. 
And I haven't weighed myself in close to a year and a half now. And it's amazing. Like I feel so much better because that wasn't a measurement of who I am. Again, you blow me away with that kind of like, I'm okay. I'm enough, right? It is just, I don't care what they told me matters. What really matters is what I decide matters. Okay. And what you decided matters is your well-being, your sense of no stress, your sense of I'm doing what I like, I'm doing what I'm able to do, and I don't have to stress about it. And I think a big part of minimalism and most of my dear friends who are in that space, in your words, more simplification, if you want, not just minimalism. It's, you know, the idea is basically when you take away all of the liabilities, all of the needs that you were told that you have to strive to achieve, life becomes much easier with less. And so you actually don't need to run around like a headless chicken to earn more money because you're not spending as much money, right? You don't need to stress yourself and get acceptance of people because you realize they didn't notice anyway. And all of that, I think, really changes a lot of things inside us. I think so too. I think so too. Yeah. What is TSS that is written behind you with three hearts? Uh, so it stands for the Simplicity Space, and it's a membership program that I run, and it's like the most important part of my work right now. And so it's always front and center in my kitchen where I am now. So what does it do? Is the Simplicity Space is you teach people to find that space in their life where it's it's less of teaching. It's not like a course, it's a membership. And so it's more of a support system. There is some teaching, but it's more of a support. So for someone who is simplifying their life and they want to be in a group with other people who are doing the same and also connect with me to figure out how to do that and to celebrate their progress and to get support when you're doing something unconventional, which I think is so important in those moments when you think people are going to think I'm crazy. This group says you're not. It's okay. Yeah. We like you. (laughs) Yeah. You're not. You're doing, you're on the right path. (laughs) Yeah. How do people find it? We search for the simplicity space. Yes. Or you can just go to my site, bemorewithless.com. And there's a little simplicity space button on there. Okay. Do that, guys. It's worth it. Seriously. Ladies, I think you would benefit from that. Can I ask you a question about that whole idea of ladies? And please don't get me wrong. But I mean, at least from most of my friends who are on the feminine side, as compared to us completely unaware masculine beings, living with less is a lot more difficult especially when it comes to shoes. I noticed. I'm not sure if that's, Could be. <laughs> if that's the case. But if you tell a man that he has to do with less shoes, he's going to go like, really? But if you tell a woman that she needs to do with less shoes, she will go like, ah, I can't do that. You know, like, What are you talking about? So can you tell us a little bit about that from your own point of view as a woman? Yeah, well, I think there's a much more pressure on women to show up and look a certain way to please the people around them. That's a good point. It's not right, but it's a good point. Yeah. Right. And we internalize that pressure and I'm sure some men experience it as well, but we internalize that pressure and then we do whatever we can to show up the way we think people want us to show up. And I think that's why women are often taking much more in terms of comments on their physical appearance than men, whether in real life or on the internet. So yeah, I think it is harder in some respects, but I also think once a woman decides what she wants for her life, then it becomes much easier because, you know, she's really thinking about not only herself, but her family and the people around her and how she's going to take care of them. And I think that can also trip us up in the beginning because we think we have to put everyone else first and not ourselves. But once we make the connection that when we put ourselves first, we can take such better care of yeah. who we care about and what we care about. Totally. Then there's no stopping us. Yeah, totally. 
And I have to say, I mean, from my side, being a man, those who will value you for the way you look, I mean, seriously, are those even worth your effort? It's like if someone is valuing who you are for an additional inch on your heels, then maybe that's not the right person to invest in trying to get the attention of or please in any way. I mean, at the end of the day, I find in my heart that every woman is so much more when she's just herself, when she's not trying to please, but actually trying to be, when she's trying to show up as the person that she really is. I think that applies to men too, but... Yeah, humans in general. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think men, for some reason, it's not right to generalize, but men sort of don't suffer the same pressure from society if they show up with not so fashionable as women do. But uh, I wish everyone gets the kind of freedom that I enjoy every day. I mean, including my hair, by the way, it's so simple. It's like I, <laughs> I wake up in the morning and it takes me like literally no time whatsoever to get my hair done. It's amazing, really. I'm not advising that for anyone. But, uh, <laughs> you seem to be a habits master. You know, I heard you once talk about the idea of claiming your morning back and how you, one term that I would really appreciate you explain to my listeners is a term that you used, which is called habit stacking. Can you tell me a bit about that? Sure. I'm pretty obsessed with habit stacking because I think it makes our habits stick so much more easily. And even though I'm a big fan of tiny steps and one habit at a time to really get going, I think with habit stacking, it's kind of like if you think about when you take a shower and you might shampoo your hair first, and then you might add conditioner next, and then you might use body wash or some combination of those things. That's habit stacking. Like, you know what comes next. And everyone, once they determine their shower routine, I would think in almost every case, you do it the same way every time. And I started to think about that for my morning routine, what that would look like. And so for me, in the beginning, when I started this, I didn't have a lot of extra time in the morning. And so it was five minutes of getting on my yoga mat. And instead of trying to make this a huge habit, doing an hour practice every day, which is how I used to do habits, like fast and furious. I wanted overnight transformation, but this slow and steady approach really works for me. And so with the yoga, five minutes, even though I didn't really feel like, am I getting anything out of this? Maybe not. But Hmm. what I'm doing is I'm establishing, I'm laying the groundwork, I'm establishing the habit. And after a week of doing that five minutes a day, I added five minutes of journaling and only five minutes. Like if I felt like going further, I stopped myself. And then the next week I would add, I added five minutes of meditation. And so there I was with a 15 minute morning routine that felt manageable. And then I started to increase the time only by a minute a week. A minute a week. A minute a week on each habit. And that felt like this is so tiny. Am I really making progress? But here I am now 10 years later with hours-long morning routine because I took it so slowly in the beginning and worked with what I had to work with instead of trying to force something that wasn't going to stick. And so even now, if I try a new habit, I do that. I start it, you know, I'm only going to do this for one minute or five minutes, and then I'm going to keep it there for a week and then see instead of going all in because I am often an all or nothing person. But when I do that all in, I often burn out and find myself with no habits. (laughs) I love that. Actually, as I look back at my own life, there was that phase in my life where I got really preoccupied with work and I injured myself a little. And so I didn't work out for a few years. And then when I came back to working out, it was horrendously difficult. And so I had a strategy at the time that was called plus two. And that was really it. I basically told myself, look, you're going to the gym, you're going to do some exercise and do whatever. It's like if you are on the treadmill and you do one minute, that's fine. It's one minute today. And then when you come back next time, you're going to do plus two. You're just going to add a couple of minutes. And if you can't do it, it's fine. If you end up with a minute and 20 seconds, it's fine. Next time, just try plus two. 
And in no time at all, I was doing 60 minutes with HIIT exercises and becoming very fit. And it actually really, really works. And it's easy on you and there is no pressure, no stress. But the idea is show up, show up and give it a try. I think that's really what makes a difference. Okay, give me a cheat sheet because I, I hope I'm not running out of time with you, but I'm going to furnish that place. Give me a cheat sheet. If I Your apartment? Yes, exactly. If I have now a small bedroom and a small work area where I need to have my equipment for the podcast and for my work and a tiny kitchen. I love it. I love it. It's so tiny. What would you recommend I do? Are you in the space already? Not yet. No, no. I'm in a horrendously big Airbnb that I will never be in again. When you move into the space, oftentimes we feel like, okay, this is when we're supposed to get all the things. We're supposed to get the window coverings and the the dishes and the plates and the sheets and all the things. Don't go in with anything. Just go in on your own and ask yourself how you want to live in the space. Mm -hmm. How do you want to live in your space? And then kind of reverse engineer the process and start adding things as you need them instead of getting all the things and then trying to figure out what you need to get rid of. So only bring things (laughs) in as you need them. You don't have to have a full setup in any room except maybe your all your podcasting equipment ready to go. So perhaps you set that up first and then what's the next thing you want to prioritize? Maybe it's your sleep. You know, what do you need for great sleep? Everyone's going to answer that question differently, but you decide for yourself and then only get those things. Same for your kitchen. Even though some people have all the appliances and and I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, I have a blender and I even have an instant pot because I use it. I cook with it often. So if it's something that you are going to use and enjoy and it's going to add value to your life, have it. And if it's not, then don't. It's kind of cool to start like this. Totally. My worry would be, would you not find yourself sort of like, ah, I need another set of dishes and you haven't really thought through it. I mean, I would have imagined you would tell me, plan it all out before you make a single decision. But what you're saying is no, 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 actually live in it and add them one by one. I think that's an interesting, different approach. What would you say to people who've made the mistakes we've done before and filled the place up with a lot of clutter? I would first say, if you're noticing that, that's the first step. And that's such an amazing step in the process. And instead of feeling the immense guilt and shame that can come in that place, to really celebrate the fact that you're starting, like you're getting started, that's amazing. And I think that's really the thing that catches people up is that in order to face that, then you have to face those tough emotions. But instead of really holding on to them, and specifically guilt and shame, really consider the fact that you have paid enough already. So for all of that clutter that you're letting go of now, you have paid for it with your time and your attention and your energy and your emotions. You've already paid enough. And so now you get to release it without paying any more. I think if you can get to that place quickly, it will speed the process up quite a bit. And you would advise that anything that is what? I mean, sometimes they say if you have two of anything, you know, duplicates. You say that too. Yeah, start with the easy stuff, the duplicates Mm. and things you don't use. Like I know I had a lot of picture frames without pictures in it or vases without (laughs) flowers in them. I mean, (laughs) why was I collecting those things? And also don't pressure yourself. Like if it feels too hard to let go, instead, what I recommend is boxing things up and getting it out of sight. Because when you're not looking at it all the time, you really break that connection. And for me, I would forget about the stuff in the boxes. And then it was really easy to let go of. Yeah, exactly. You open the box and you realize you haven't used this thing for 10 months. And, you know, so why would you keep it anyway? Or don't open the box. Just if you haven't missed it, just let it go. Yeah, I agree. I agree. One of the things I keep telling people is that during COVID-19 and the lockdowns and some people losing their jobs and so on, this is the ultimate moment in history, if you want, for empathy, to realize that people around us are suffering because we're suffering too. Everyone is suffering. Everyone is challenged. And maybe this is a good time to really pick some of the things that 
are not making you happy, are cluttering your place, are making your life more difficult, and give them to people who might need them because not everyone is going through a uh, an easy time today. You know what, Courtney, I'm going to have to say this to you. Your plan worked. Your idea of attempting to de-stress, I feel so much calm coming from you, coming my way. It's calming me down. I think you did it. It's working. It's working. It really is. It really is. And it's amazing. And it's so simple. And it's so beautiful. And it is really something that I tell my listeners because I love you guys. It really changes life. The less we have in our life, the more enjoyable it becomes. And I don't know if you agree with this, Courtney, but one of the things I feel is that when you have less, you appreciate what you have more. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, every Pink Floyd t-shirt that I have is like, I've really thought through this. Is this the one that I'm going to keep or not? I have two of them now. I had like 200 before because I really am a huge fan of Pink Floyd. But now I know which are my favorite two albums. I know which are my favorite two artworks. And I'm not going to tell you guys that if you want to ask me on social media. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, of course that happens because you're not focused. It's where your focus is. So now you're not focused on what you need and what you're missing and what you want. Yeah. Yeah. You're focused on being in your life and what surrounds you affects what's inside of you naturally. So you're creating the environment that you want to experience life in. It's pretty powerful. It really is. It really is. Okay, guys. So I think you've heard, Courtney, I think you have some homework to do. Go to Be More With Less. Read Project 333. Sign up. Go to TSSD. Simple, the simple space. The simplicity space. Simplicity space. I'm a huge fan and I've been waiting for this conversation for a long time. I think Courtney has a lot to teach all of us and it's going to feel a little hard at first, but it's actually quite enjoyable once you get into it. Courtney, I'm so grateful for your time. I'm really, really grateful for what you taught me before I met you and uh, what you taught me today. And it's been wonderful. Likewise. I feel the same exact way. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. So there you have it. I think uh, we all have a bit of homework to do. I'm going to furnish my tiny little apartment and uh, hopefully make it as simple as I can make it so that there is space for me to be and not space for clutter. And uh, maybe look at your own life, look at your morning habits, look at your crowded life. Maybe find a path to de-stress like Courtney did. We don't have to wait for the wake-up call. We can actually take the messages that life sends us. I'm very grateful that you give me the time and listen to slow-mo. I hope you're still enjoying it as much as you often tell me that you are. Find me on social media and uh, tell me what you think of what we're doing. Tell me if you want me to change anything. Tell me your views of some of my guests comments and teachings and nuggets of wisdom. I'm Mo underscore Gaudet on Instagram, Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn, mo.gaudet.official on Facebook, and mgaudet on Twitter. And you can find a lot of my work on youtube.com slash happy. Thank you so much for giving me the alibi to record this wonderful, wonderful experience of amazing conversations. And I love you all for listening, and I'll see you next time.